listening to the Jersey Guys Podcast, the show that talks about hard rock, heavy metal, AOR, and West Coast music. In-depth conversation and special guests are always on tap, so settle in and turn it up. Now, here are your hosts, Tom and Mark. Everybody. Welcome to the Jersey Guys Podcast. I'm Mark Ballow here with my co-host Tom Coyne, as always, and uh, we're back with a brand new episode. Uh, today we thought we would talk about, uh, and this is something that Tom came up with uh, several months back, uh, and we thought we'd talk about new wave of British heavy metal bands that sort of went um, at a point in their career, were chasing kind of the American sound and kind of went almost AOR-ish. So we're going to highlight a bunch of bands. You know, Of course, everybody knows the new wave of British heavy metal was something that started in the latter 70s, 79, 80. And it was a new set of bands that kind of came out almost as a reaction to, uh, I guess, the the punk scene that was happening at the time, right? And uh, maybe even that new wave or like disco sound that was so popular. Disco more in America, maybe new wave in, in Disco in dance, uh, the new romantic sound, yeah. uh, the punk sound, all yeah. things that that didn't sound like Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, and Deep Purple. Right. So that was kind of like, you know, you had those, the early 70s bands, you had the Sabbaths, you had the, you know, the the Led Zeppelins, right? But but in in like that 79, 80 period, you had the the sound that was the punk sound and that new wave sound that was there, the new thing. And this was kind of a rebellion, right? The new wave of British heavy metal was kind of a rebellion to that sound. But it was funny, and, and I always kind of thought it was like a phenomenon almost in a way where a lot of these bands you know, in the mid eighties kind of switched over to that chasing that American sound with a lot of synthesizers, keyboards, uh, and stuff like that. So I always thought it was kind of cool because, you know, I love that sound myself. And so to have these, these heavy metal bands, you know, change direction and, and kind of go in that way for at least an album or two, you know, um, I thought it was an interesting topic. So we're going to talk about that today and, uh, I'm going to kind of play more of the MC on this one and, uh, I'll introduce the bands, give you a little bit of a background of them. Uh, and then I'll hand it off to Tom and he can give you his thoughts. Cause I think he's a little more schooled than this than I would be. So, um, so yeah, so we'll start it right now. You ready? I'm ready. Any? Okay. Uh, the first band I'm going to talk about is the, uh, the band shy. Uh, we did a discography discussion on them in one of our episodes way back. And this is a band that debuted in 1983. Uh, the first album was called Once Bitten, uh, Twice Shy, right? And um, I mean, they're a unique band because they weren't a band, I guess you could call maybe that debut album, right? Tom was was very kind of oh, new yeah, wave of British heavy metal. Oh, without a doubt it was, yeah. And, and then they kind of, every album after that, they sort of went in a more melodic uh, AOR direction, right? But um, yeah, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on like Shy and, and kind of- Well, the first, the first album was total uh, new wave of British heavy metal sounding. Some of the songs may be a little lighter, but some of the songs were very edgy. The guitars were very edgy. Mills's vocals were, were totally different at that time. He hadn't developed that- real signature sound but anybody that's heard the debut record it's it's terrific for what it is yeah and, totally uh, different than what it came was, after. yeah it was a hard yeah. rock band it wasn't a keyboard band it was uh an edgy band the second album uh which was 
I guess two years. I don't have it in front of me. I'm yeah. guessing around two years after it. It, it was more polished totally. than the yeah. first album. Um, but not what the third album became, which is an AOR classic. It's still, in, in spite of all their albums, it's still one of my oh, yeah. one or two favorites. But on this album, they went totally for the USA sound. It, it's They went really for the American sound on this. The, the, the production... Uh, a lot of keyboards now. All of a sudden, they become a keyboard band. Yeah, and um, Steve Harris was always the the big driving force. Uh, not that Steve Harris, right? <laughs> uh, the other Steve Harris, who is is equally as talented. This album was a complete change. For, I mean, if you look at what they were a few years before that, they sounded nothing like this. This was a real polished, super produced. I believe it was Neil Kernan produced this. I think, I think yeah. so. Yeah. Uh, which speaks volumes unto itself that, that, you know, he was producing it. And this was totally to break the American market and get recognized by the American market. I don't know how much it did. Yeah. I remember back mm-hmm. in the day, I bought this album when it came out and uh, it didn't sound like, seem like it was cracking the American market <laughs> only because it was just a type of thing where they just didn't have the exposure. Didn't they tour for a... Uh, open for a big act well this? i mean I, I saw him actually years later on a couple albums later um when they opened for enough's enough um in america but i don't know if they were in america prior i don't know i don't know why i seem to think either this uh, this album they may have opened briefly hmm. for a a major act I, i'd have to research that just somewhere up here on my cobwebs that i think <laughs> that but this album was uh a a, a total usa Keyboard, you know, harmonies, uh, the big, huge production, totally different animal uh, from what they started out to be. The next band we're going to talk about is, it's a favorite of mine, personal favorite, not that Shy isn't, of course, but um, Saxon. Obviously, here's a band that debuted in 1979 uh, with the self-titled album Saxon. And this is a band that by 1985, they were kind of starting to change a little bit like you said maybe innocence is no excuse was already like the first yeah 1985 was innocence no is no excuse kind of change in there you know they they were writing all of a sudden songs about you know women and you know uh it it was they they didn't have they had like a bulge ballsy edge to them in their early stuff and they wrote a lot of you know, stuff like 747 and the mm. song about the JFK assassination. Yeah. And uh, they wrote songs about motorcycles. They were a real, uh, you know, man's type of band. <laughs> and Innocence is No Excuse had a young chick eating an apple on the cover. Yeah. And it had a lot of uh, cock rock type yep. of songs on it, which totally. had never reared its head on... Uh, you know, Saxon albums. Stuff, they were yeah. always a guy's band. They were always a, you know, a guy's metal band. Yeah. And they started to slowly drift off of that again with an eyeball. And this has been well documented. I've heard it with interviews and books. And they definitely were told by their management that, you know, uh, change your hairstyle, start mm-hmm. wearing the spandex. Biff was wearing the striped spandex. Yeah. and. Yeah put a little bit of makeup on. And uh, unfortunately, those guys really didn't dress up quite as well as no. some of the American guys <laughs> did. But uh, right. 
uh, that being said, we it, but, that'll lead us into the well, album that yeah, we wanted to talk about. Yeah, I was about. gonna say because the album we're gonna talk about um, that I think they really went over the top, sort of very slick and everything was was nineteen eighty eight. Um, there was an album prior to that, Rock the Nations, was nineteen eighty six. Um, but on the album from nineteen eighty eight, Destiny, the band just went total. I don't know what you would call it. I mean, I don't know if it's called AOR, but it's it's very. Oh I mean, yeah, it is. Really, it is. Though. They did. Yeah, they did a Christopher is. Cross song. Yeah, the, the Christopher cover, Cross right? song gave it away. Yeah, and um, it's loaded with keyboards. Excuse yeah. me, and um, very melodic. And this Slickly album produced, is kind of what triggered me doing, you know, talking yeah. to Mark and doing this whole show, is that I saw somebody talking about it on Facebook one day, and sometimes when I'm just hanging around. On Facebook, I'll see somebody talk about an album. I say, geez, I haven't listened to that album in years. I put it on and um, I was flawed about how good it was and how slick it was and how yeah. keyboardy it was and how nothing like Saxon it was. <laughs> yeah. And this also was their pinnacle of trying to, you know, um, connect with a broader uh, audience. And I know for yeah. a fact their management had been on them about that with the U.S. Yeah, well, I mean, the first, first single was the Christopher Cross song, right, I believe, they, right? Exactly. So, they, yeah, they pushed the Christopher Cross song as a first single. So, I mean, what you know, what more could you say in yeah. terms of, you know, wimping right. out, so to speak? Right, right, exactly. But they did a great job on this. You know, I, I'm not, I wasn't a big fan of a couple of the albums before that where they started to go more in the, you know, the hair band term I hate, cock yeah. rock, another term I hate, but... Yeah. to just get that sound out there but this they they did a great job on it, it was yeah. it wasn't really vintage saxon sounding right but they they definitely dipped their toe in the water of uh melodic hard rock aor and uh did a very credible job i have to say yes for sure it's it's, it's a favorite of mine yeah another sure. example no of you know a new wave of british heavy metal band that uh totally wimped out on us but <laughs> yep well, now we're going to go to one, and uh, this one is something that you turned me on not all that long ago. Um, here's a band uh, by the name of Quartz, and their debut album was a self-titled album. came out in 1977, yes. but they went totally AOR in 1983 with an album, Against All Odds. And I'm going to let you tell people about this and who was on this album, because I think a lot of people probably don't know, especially American audience, right? Um, yes, this is a terrific album if anybody is not familiar with this and um it's totally different another band totally different sound from what they originally were they were an early 80s uh you know guitar driven british band um first couple of releases and on this album great cover this album's got kind of hard to find on cd too. it is yeah uh, they completely changed their sound. They went very uh, melodic, very keyboardy. Also, courtesy of Jeff Nichols, certain member right. of a uh, silent member of Black Sabbath. Yes, yes, yeah. Who was the singer on this album? It's amazing, it, right? Which many people know. <laughs> Jeff Nichols did do, believe it or not, a lot of singing with Sabbath, but off the stage. He played, he was their off the stage keyboard player for years yep. and did a lot of fill-in vocals with numerous singers in the Black Sabbath lineup. And Jeff Nichols was the singer on this. And uh, it's 
another shining example of a uh, balls to the wall uh, British new wave of British heavy metal sounding band that completely changed their sound again with an eyeball toward a bigger audience and everybody's eyeball was always just cracking the U.S. market and you got to remember back then there were there were two scenes going on you had a, a thriving AOR scene in the states yeah um you know bands like I-10 and Preview and you know there was so there was just so much great AOR in that 80. 384 and then you had the Bon Jovi album in 85 that broke that hairband sound which was yeah. very melodic again with keyboards and the look and everything so the european bands were getting bombarded the european bands were stuck in metal yeah and the us and canada to a degree too were already you know moving off of it into a more melodic showy uh presentation and the british bands were were jumping on that bandwagon like crazy so this is another great example of that uh this quartz album yeah yeah that was a good one you turned me on that yeah uh, not too yeah, long terrific ago. record it sounds nothing like their early stuff yeah so um we'll move on and the next band we're going to talk about this is a an interesting one because it's the band mantis and um People might know Mantis as being, uh, what, the guitar player? It was the lead guitar player Venom. in Venom. Venom, which was not really like a new wave of hit British heavy metal band, more of an extreme metal band in I've, a way, right? Some people, you know, I mean, you, like all forms of music, who was the first one to come up with? You know, Venom, some people think were the first, you know. Uh, thrash. Thrash. Uh, band, yeah. Death. Death, uh, yeah. You know, like, they... If they weren't, they they were one of the purveyors of it at the beginning. Yeah. You know, it was very breaking sound at that time. Yeah. Venom. So then, then Mantis, the guitar player, goes on to release this yes, album. Yes, he Mantis. released his um, own record. Uh, some people call it uh, Cheese Ball. I read that in reviews <laughs> by quite a few people. Actually, I, I like it, but I I, I do like cheesy stuff yeah. at times. W- Winds of Change is the name. Yes, of the album, Winds by of the Change. Nineteen eighty-eight. Two different versions of it. It did get reissued. Uh, a few years back with some extra songs on it. Um, it's good. I mean, it's got terrific singing on it. It's it's a little cheesy in spots, not all of it. I think most people that slag it were Venom fans. Right. Like the, most yeah. people that like melodic hard rock and AOR like ourselves thought this was a pretty strong album. Um, well, such a drastic change if you yeah, were a Venom I, fan. I, too. Right, and have... I think it was the Venom fans that really, you know, you know really thrashed the hell out of it, but... <laughs> It's good stuff. And another example of a guy that broke out of, you know, not even a new wave of uh, British heavy metal band, yeah. but a band that was like early death and and thrash. Yeah. And again, went uh, very melodic and very USA sounding. Now, that's a good one. Yeah. I mean, you turned me on to that uh, also. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, the next band we're going to talk about is another one that people may not be really familiar with. Um, this is a band that started in 1981. Uh, the band is named Jaguar, and uh, they really went, they're, you know, kind of, I guess, you know, would be a traditional new wave of British heavy metal oh, yeah, band absolutely. on their early album. Power Games, was it? Mm-hmm. In 1983? Yep. But uh, they went really AOR on the album this, this time, time. Yep. Uh, 1984, so... Yeah, what what uh yeah what this say about that? this is a, a terrific album. I mean, I don't think I've ever heard anybody slag this, even if you liked early Jaguar. But 
uh, a different sound. Again, uh, much more commercial, much more accessible. Not that their other stuff was inaccessible, but um, uh, definitely written and you know played for a more mainstream melodic rock audience. And uh, another CD that's become yeah. pretty scarce uh, these days. You might be able to find. In a, there's been some bootlegs of it too, but yeah, the original press I think right now is not like a mega rarity, but it's it's pretty hard to come by. Yeah, but worth checking and tracking down. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we'll move on now. The next band we're going to talk about is um, a band named Heavy Petten, and uh, I think most people know this band. Um, I guess you can call them, they debuted with their album in 1983 called uh, Letting Loose. And I guess they're kind of like, people would say they were almost like a Def Leppard clone in a way, right? That was a big comparison at the time. I never really thought they sounded like Def Leppard. They were from Scotland. Yeah. Um, They came out at the same time. They were very highly hyped. The debut album is one of the great albums of the 80s. The second album, Rocking Dead, Almost as good. Yeah. Real anthemy, balls to the wall type of stuff. Hammies, high pitched vocals. Uh, I can't say enough about the first two heavy pet albums. They're both mega classics in my book. Unfortunately, but, yes, but they're always, a, always maybe a but. the biggest flop in terms of change in direction of all of these bands that we're about to highlight because they came out with Big Bang. And it sounded nothing like those first two albums. It was um, real lightweight. Um, the songs lacked. Uh, the balls to the wall sound was gone. They were a real guitar-heavy band with great hooks. And they were heavy. Heavy but catchy. And uh, the first two albums, I mean, most people that are watching this probably are very familiar with them. I don't have to sales pitch anybody on them. This was a huge flop. And this also, I had read time and time again, was to target a bigger audience, an American audience, uh, go with the the, the, the Times uh, type of release. And it was a massive flop mm. and actually utterly destroyed this band, which broke up shortly after this. And um, this was an absolute destruction of a great career. Mm probably more so than than all of these releases on yeah well, i mean we talk about a lot of these bands we're talking about and we're we're gushing over their aor releases right. but this, this one is, is this not quite was, the case no this was not quite the case and it was relatively early in their careers it was only their third album and they abandoned everything that those first two albums had yeah and it was a dud on i remember <laughs> karang slagged the shit out of it and everybody did it just was a a huge bomb. Yeah, interesting. Um, so we're going to move on to a band that's probably, I guess, the the biggest name maybe we're talking about today. Um, at least a band who had the most commercial success um, of all the bands we're talking about. But the band Def Leppard. They debuted in 1980 with On Through the Night. Uh, everybody knows that. 1981 was High and Dry. And 1983 was Pyromania, massive album for the band. Uh, but they, they changed, uh, everybody knows, I don't know, we probably don't even have to talk much about this one, but 1987, they come out with Hysteria and, uh, just, uh, the band that started out in 1980 as a new wave of British heavy metal band is now an arena rock, um, quote unquote hair band, you know, huge in America, massive success, right? So 
I don't know if you'd call it quite AOR, not you know, but it's it's definitely it wasn't melodic, AOR, but it was nothing uh, like their earliest stuff. It yeah. was um, it was a saccharine sweet Bon Jovi. <laughs> be my best way to yeah, describe it for sure. I think some of it had to do with the fact of the drummer's situation, yeah, and not being able to play standard drums anymore, and all the drum triggers and all the mm, good gimmick, gimmickry that they had to you know, incorporate, I think, change their sound. And I mean, you know, uh, I, I know how they've always felt about keeping Rick Allen in the band, and that's not for me to pass a comment on. But I thought uh, them not replacing him, at the very least, changed their sound. Yeah. And I think that had something to do with it. But again, they definitely had a management idea that what Bon Jovi had been successful in we were going to take it. And and unlike some of these other British bands, they did have a band that had the looks yeah. to pull that off. Right. You know, some of these bands did that and they they were metal bands and they looked like metal bands. Yeah. Saxon. Uh, right. Saxon <laughs> uh, being one of them, but uh, a, a number of them. Yeah. These guys had the looks. They had they they were able to, to do that. And um I, I'm not going to slag this because it, it just brought them to another level sure. of popularity. For me, I'm all about their first three albums. This was the beginning of the end. Not that I hated this. I own the album. I own other albums by them. When I say beginning of the end, it was beginning of the end of me thinking they were great. I yeah. still thought they were okay. And there were songs here and there that I liked and I didn't hate them. Uh, but they did go for that big American mall. And they had broken... The American market on on With pyromania. pyromania, yeah, definitely. but pyromania was was great. It was right, it was right. heavy as hell, yeah, right. and you know it was like the way the Scorpions broke, you know, the states around that time, yeah. and it was equally as heavy. But this was totally commercial, about as commercial as you could get. Pour, pour some sugar on me. I mean, yeah. you know. Oh yeah, um, great. You know, great ballad band too. You know that, right. that came with. Yeah, know. no, they were. I, I I didn't turn on them. I just was not as ravenous for them as I was on the first couple of albums. Yeah. But another glowing example of a UK band totally chasing down the American look, the American yep. sound and of that time. Yeah. Yeah. So again, you know, not not something that's AOR, but definitely it's a change in super sound. Super commercial you know? though. Yeah, Actually definitely. more commercial than some of these bands that went AOR. Yeah, for sure. Um, so moving on, we're going to go to the next band and this is a, a band who I'm a, a big fan of, and this is Tigers of Pantang. Um, the band debuted in 1980, uh, with their first album and they really went AOR on, well, this album, which is, you're going to show is, is from 1987. It's called Burning in the Shade, but even, uh, wasn't the wreckage from 1985 a little, little AOR? Yeah, there was some songs here and there. I'm this a one? huge oh. fan of The Wreckage. I actually think from cover to cover, it's the best album they have. But, uh, even but though I, one, you know, yeah. I was a huge they, fan of when Sykes was in the band, Spellbound yeah. and uh, Crazy Nights. The Wreckage album I thought was great. It was it was heavy. Uh, it was a little more commercial than the, than the Sykes mm -hmm. uh, stuff. But this, this album one, here yeah. is total AOR. It's not even so much like uh, just chasing that a commercial. Yeah. This is crooning AOR. <laughs> if you like crooning AOR, which I do, and John Deverell definitely had the vocal chops to cut this. Yeah. Uh, the band was scaled down a little bit. It wasn't uh, as guitar heavy as it had been. 
I like this album a lot. It's not really oh, representative too. of the Tigers sound, but that's mm -hmm. why we're doing the show. Right. This is about albums and bands that were not representative of what they sounded like. And they were a pretty heavy ass kicking band, especially when Sykes uh, was in it. And also on the, the wreckage album. Yeah. Uh, this is real uh, vintage AOR and talk about an album that, you know, going for the American market. This was, this is the epitome of it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But a favorite of mine, that's for sure. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we'll move on. And the next band we're going to talk about, legendary band. Uh, everybody knows UFO. Uh, here's a band. I mean, they predate the new wave of British heavy metal sound. Um, their debut came out back in 1970. So that that's prior to that mm -hmm. that new new wave of British heavy metal movement that occurred. But but anyway, they were kind of like, and I read this somewhere, they were kind of like a transitional band. You know, they they started out in the early 70s with the the Black Sabbaths and the the Led Zeppelins and everything at that time. But they they continued on through. I mean, Led Zeppelin was gone, you know, Black Sabbath changed and with singers and everything like that. But but they continued on and they carried into the the early 1980s, late 70s there with you know, that new wave of British heavy metal period. Um, but they really kind of went AOR, right? In a way. Oh, with, they did. Although they, they never sounded like new wave of British. They, they, no. they, yeah. they released albums through that period, which right. were mainly the Chapman albums. Schenker yeah. was pretty much out of UFO before uh, new wave of British heavy metal even broke big. Yeah. But they released, uh, you know, a whole string of albums with Paul Chapman from 80, to 84 they're all terrific but they don't really sound like you know yeah. in a new wave of british heavy metal they sound like ufo yeah well now uh, this album comes out you said chapman leaves in 84 right this is yes this was a big shake up in the lineup and this uh, was another you know i i own i don't know how many ufo books uh this was another album that this is not my opinion this is written in books that they decided to go or was convinced by management to you know, go with a a USA accessible sound. So Paul Raymond stayed on, and of course Mog, and uh, it was a new lineup. He brought in Atomic Tommy M, also known as Tommy McClendon, who had a very uh, Eddie Van Halen USA style of guitar playing. Load of keyboards on this. You got some ballads. Layers of keyboards. This was totally geared at the uh, the U.S. market. I mean, the only problem was at this point, you know, people endured the loss of Shanker, and then Chapman left. Peter Way had left, and the interest in UFO in the states was dwindling. In fact, the interest in UFO in general was dwindling, and this lineup had brief success in 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 Europe predominantly the UK. Uh, there's a DVD out there of this lineup, but you can see them in full force. It was actually a very talented band. Uh, Jim Simpson was in it, Paul Gray. This album is terrific. It's uh, very, uh, you know, glossy compared to any UFO you've heard before. Mog being the total pro he is, sings all this stuff, which is predominantly a AOR tinge songs does a great job with it i love this album i always love the cover of it i thought it was mm. really quirky and yeah. uh, which you know ufo has been known for quirky covers yeah and uh 
huge fan of it, but it never sounded like anything before it or necessarily anything after it. And it was another glowing example of a British band in the mid eighties looking to, uh, possibly attract a, a different audience, a USA audience. For and sure. even though unlike heavy Petten, this was a good album. It pretty much was a, a flop for them. Yeah. Okay. So we'll move on. And, uh, the next band we're going to talk about is the band Shogun. Uh, here's a band that was formed by, uh, Alan Marsh from, uh, Tokyo Blade. Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they actually were formed in the late seventies, right at the beginning of the new wave of British heavy metal period. Uh, they debuted in 1983 with their first album, but the album we're going to talk about that went in a total AOR direction was the 1987 release 31 days, right? Absolute classic, classic. album. Yep. One of my favorite albums of this genre. Uh, it's one of these things every once in a while, I will just pull it out cause it's that good from yeah. cover to cover. It's an offshoot of Tokyo Blade, which, as most people know, were a, um, tradi- a real traditional British band, a staple in, in, in Britain for years, kind of like a poor man's Iron Maiden. And uh, the first Shogun album was a heavier, more hard rock type of album. And then this came out. Mm-hmm. Again, I know American production behind it. And, you know, the they had the looks to to you know pull it off and this is real keyboard laden usa sounding uh you know mid to late 80s melodic rock slash aor an absolute great album yeah i agree if you're into that music and you don't have it i'd put it at the top of your list and i'm assuming most people do yeah and probably share my thoughts yeah but if you don't check it out uh, now we're going to move on to another band, which is a band that we talked about um, just prior to start uh, starting this episode. And we kind of, I didn't initially have them on the list. Uh, Tom kind of threw it in there. But this is a band, uh, Budgie. Now, everybody knows the name, but here's a band that started kind of like in the same uh, mold as like the UFO, right? They started in the early 1970s. Uh, so they weren't really a, a traditional, you know, new wave of British heavy metal band, but you talk about the last two albums that the band released, uh, 1981, uh, which was Night Flight, and 1983, Deliver Us From Evil. And the band definitely went in a more commercial direction, right? Yeah, well, I mean, most people are familiar with Budgie, and uh, they, they were a band from the 70s that kind of were Black Sabbath meets Rush in sound. Burke Shelley had a vocal um, very similar to, uh, to Getty Lee's, bass playing very similar to Getty Lee's. And uh, they had a Black Sabbath kind of riffage. A lot of their riffs sounded like stuff that Black Sabbath would write. In fact, their guitar player, uh, Tony Borg, not to be confused with Tony Iommi, was the, the main writer. And he wrote a lot of riffs and songs that were very uh, Sabbath-fused. Uh, and uh, then they had a big shakeup in their lineup. And the big shakeup in the lineup was Burke Shelley wanted the band to become a new wave of British heavy metal sounding band. So in 1980, he shook the lineup up. Tony Borg was gone. Uh, Ray Phillips on drums was gone. And um, he brought in a a new lineup and they released the album Power Supply, which is considered one of the all-time great new wave of British heavy metal albums from 1980. And one of my two or three favorite albums by them. Real heavy, heavy bone-crushing album for that time. 
And he kept the lineup, but in the two ensuing albums that Mark had mentioned, it went much more commercial in a, in sound. Like he just abandoned what he did with the Power Supply album and went very commercial. And I don't know. I can't sit here and say that I think Burke Shelley was trying to crack the American market. I they weren't really that type of band at any time, but they did go very soft and commercial on their last couple of albums. So it was yet, yet again another British band in the in the eighties that. Uh, change their sound in a much more commercial uh, way. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, these bands we talked about, obviously we're talking about the new wave of British heavy metal, um, but that really wasn't the, they weren't just those type of bands that were kind of, that had this sort of trajectory, right? So there's three bands we wanted to talk about before we finish up this episode. And uh, they're bands from other parts of the of the world, not, you know, the UK, but there was a band, uh, 220 Volt out of Sweden. Right. And here's a band, again, their early material was vastly different than the album we're going to talk about, right? Right. And there are a lot of bands in Europe that did this. I mean, this was like kind of an episode we put together sort of on the fly. Yeah. Uh, so anybody that's watching this that finds this interesting and may know of other bands that we missed. I know we have missed other bands. I, mean, yeah. I said we. I did this kind of, you know, just to uh, touch on this subject that we had talked before for like maybe ten or eleven of the most obvious examples. But there were bands all through Germany and you know Switzerland and Sweden uh, that did this type of thing. And one of the the ones that I put at the top of the list was a band called Two Twenty Volt. Uh, that released this Eye to Eye album that is just phenomenal melodic hard rock slash AOR. And they sounded nothing like this at all before this. They were a typical Swedish metal band. And they totally changed their, their sound and their approach with this album. And this is a near, as close to a near perfect album as you could get. Uh, this was a, a case of a band that, that went softer and was their best album, right. I, I think. I mean, I'm sure there were people that would debate that with me, but in my opinion, I think this was, this was their best album by far. And it was a very melodic, catchy, American, again, American-sounding type of album. And uh, an absolute classic, in my opinion. Yeah, that, that's a good one for sure, yeah. Um, another band we're going to touch on is a band, honestly, I'm not, super familiar with and tom sort of turned me on to it but the band underdog uh out of germany right yes underdog were a german band um they had a couple of re releases before this that were uh typical german you know uh accept type mm -hmm. of driven uh, material and on this one out in the night completely changed the approach uh keyboards commercial and terrific. Again, kind of similar to, to 220 Volt, I would say this was, out of their releases, the best one that they did. Totally different sound, very catchy commercial songs, a lot of keyboards, which their other stuff didn't have. And uh, for anybody that doesn't know this band, the early stuff is good, but more of a, you know, clinch your fist German type of band of the, of the time. And this was more, I, I came out in the later 80s and totally different sound and really good, really good. And I know there are 
other German bands out there that did this. So anybody that could think of them that yeah. you know we have missed, let us let know. us know for sure. Yeah. And the last band we're going to touch on tonight in this episode is going to be a band that Tom mentioned a minute ago, um, Switzerland, uh, the band Killer, right? Yes, another and band that early stuff, very heavy, a typical 80s European, early 80s European sound. There were so many bands of that time that had a kind of slash ACDC, early mm-hmm. Accept, early Scorpions, you know, like... And these guys were like that. They changed singers on this album. And this album was much more American sounding, kind of like in a Lizzie Borden, you know, vein, the more melodic stuff of Lizzie Borden. Uh, The singer was much more accessible than the earlier singer and a total change in direction. I, again, I think this is their best album. Even though, you know, some of their earlier stuff is considered, you know, early metal uh, European classics. This is always the one that if I'm going to listen to something by them, uh, I'll listen to. And yet again, I know there's other stuff, other bands out there that did this. So yeah, we, uh, we, we opened yeah. the Pandora's box. Hopefully yeah. people could add to it. Definitely. So that's Killer uh, Youngblood, right? Is the yep. name of that album? Yeah, real good album. Yeah. Real good album. So, uh, you know, this was a, a quick uh, kind of episode. Like Tom said, we kind of, uh, you know, did it on the fly type of thing. It was an idea that Tom came up with, which I thought was a great idea because uh, there is so many bands. And I, I, I'm a guy that kind of tends to lean a little more towards that AOR sound. So when you get a band that isn't really traditional AOR, uh, in their careers, but that they come out with something like that. I, I tend to gravitate towards that stuff. So I, I really like the idea of doing this episode. And uh, again, like Tom said, you know, if there's other bands, because he, he knows and we know we missed some for sure. Um, we didn't cover a ton of bands tonight, but if there's ones out there, you know, comment and and let us know, you know, whether you're watching this on YouTube or you, you comment on our Facebook page, let us know what bands we may have missed. This was so. a trend at the time. This isn't something that just me and Mark just conjured up in our head. Yeah. This was a an ongoing trend at the time. I mean, if you're a book reader like I am of a lot of different books, this was something that was orchestrated by a lot of managements. Mm. Uh, in, in cases of like a UFO or less ditch effort type of thing to, you know, we've lost two marquee guitar players and, Thing you know, change in record companies. Maybe like let's go for that keyboard American sound. Yeah. But this was a, a thing at the time, and uh, it, it's it it's worth mentioning. And there were a lot of British bands, yeah, uh, more so than anybody else that that did that. And I, I think there were some Canadian bands too. Now that I'm thinking about <laughs> it, for some reason Canada. Maybe well, I might have to do a part two yeah. of this because. Right off the top of my head, I'm thinking of the band Helix mm. uh, did that also with their sound. They were much more like crunchy guitars, and then they went into uh, the uh, 85, 84, 85, 86 period mm. where they uh, were doing a lot of keyboards and much ballads and stuff like that. So like I said, this is we just scratched the surface of this. I think there's probably another 20 bands if yeah. people really do some digging. So yeah, so let us know what uh, what we missed, and like I said, maybe we'll do a part two of this sometime. Um, but uh, yeah, the, uh, that's our episode for tonight. We hope you guys enjoyed this one, and um, we'll be back again real soon with another brand new episode. So until then, take care. <laughs>